0: Well, good morning, church family. I'm excited to be able to be here with y'all this morning and to be able to share the Word of God with you. Uh, as we get started, though, I wanted to share a, a, little, a little story, a little history from, from my life. See, when, 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 well, let me start with this question instead. Have you ever flown in a plane? Well, when I was growing up, my dad lived in California and so my brother and I we would take a trip every year to go out there and see him because we were we were raised here in Tennessee and so what that meant was we'd be those two boys traveling unattended alone across country on planes and so back in the day this was a really cool thing you know you'd get moved to the front of the plane I think this was before like tens of thousands of dollars, you know, was the cost of like first class and stuff. You get, get moved to the front of the plane. You know, you get to meet the captain on each of them, and they'd give you like these, this little pin, these golden shiny wings. Then it became a sticker. Now I don't even know if they do it. But, you know, as boys, there would be one thing we would fight over every single time. The window seat. Yeah, the window seat. And that's how you knew we were kids because nowadays, let's be real, we're fighting over the aisle seat. That's right. All of a sudden you get on a plane and then all of a sudden the knee starts to act up a little bit and you got to have that extra space, you know. Well, as kids, we fought over the window seat. And, and, and my, my, my favorite thing to do is we would be flying is, is that moment right after takeoff. When you could look out the window and you would see as the cars and the buildings and the stuff would just get smaller and smaller and smaller. And there'd be that moment when, it, when you reach the right altitude, when all the cars looked like they were just traveling in a little bit of a row there, like some kind of super expensive miniature train set, you know what I'm talking about? For those of you who have flown. And there'd be that that moment where the, the little homes with their little blue rectangles told you they were living it up with a pool. And right about then, this little boy's imagination would kick in and I'd start to daydream and picture myself as if I was in that car or I lived in that house. And you know, something happened to me at an early age because of my overactive imagination. From an early age in that plane, I began to get a taste of a bigger picture. As I began to imagine being one of those people, see each of those cars represented even to me at the age of like eight real people. And I would imagine what it'd be like to, to be driving in their car totally unaware of the plane of people flying above them. And suddenly I was struck at eight by how vast the world was and how small I was in comparison to everything else. In today's message, in our passage right here, we're gonna, be, we're gonna be seeing something that Jesus reveals a bigger picture, a perspective shift, the big picture of our role in the kingdom. If you do me a favor, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. And as you're turning there, I just want to set up the context here. Matthew 28, in this this chapter, Jesus is going to give believers his kingdom mandate, the directive by which we are supposed to live our lives. That's why it's often referred to the passage we're going to look at as the Great Commission. So go ahead, turn to chapter 28 of the book of Matthew, and look to begin in verse 16. And while you're on their way there, I just want to kind of remind us of where we're going to find Jesus. So where we find Jesus in Matthew 28 is this is after his unfair trial and subsequent execution. See, Jesus was crucified by the order of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, And he died on the cross for the sins of the world. He came and stepped into our brokenness, just like I mentioned two weeks ago, living in the midst of our brokenness and shame, and he went to the cross as a sacrifice for us, paying the price for our sins as if he were the perpetrator, the sinner, and yet he was innocent. But he died in our place because we are not. And he didn't stay dead. After three days buried in a tomb, Jesus would rise again from the grave. And he appeared over the course of 40 days to over 500 people. And it would be these 500 eyewitness testimonies of seeing the risen Savior Jesus Christ that would go to turn an entire world upside down. So much so that you and I 2,000 years later would still be talking about it. And these 500 eyewitnesses, we've got a few of them here collected in our our Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, testimonies from eyewitnesses of the accounts of Jesus, who he was, what he did, what he said, and the fact that he rose from the grave. And these people who went on to turn the whole world upside down, do you know what they called themselves? Disciples. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this definition. A disciple is a person who has given up control of their life to follow Jesus. I'm going to say that again. A disciple is a person who has given up control of their life to follow King Jesus. So my question for you this morning, as we walk through this passage together is are you a disciple of Jesus? Coming off of a sermon two weeks ago and an entire series from Pastor about thinking straight in a crooked world, about coming to a point where, where we would change our thinking to align with the truth of Scripture, to come from a moment where we looked at an encounter with a woman at the well who was seeking to draw her meaning and her value from a well of relationships that could never satisfy To come to the point where we realize that real life only comes with surrender. A disciple is a person who gives up control of their life to follow Jesus. So are you a disciple? In Matthew 28, Jesus appears to 11 disciples who he had walked with for three years. As his closest, they were his closest friends. And right here in, in the start of this passage, they're on top of this mountain where Jesus is going to give them this kingdom mandate before he leaves them to return to the, to the glory of heaven. And so find your way with me. Verse 16, we'll begin reading there. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and then Jesus came, and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all of the things that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. In the name of the true Lord Jesus Christ, Father God, we ask that you would right now be moving in the power of your spirit, that you would speak through your word, that you would speak through me, and and you would speak to all of us in this room and who are watching online, God, that you would call us to a response, That as we walk through this kingdom mandate, that we would seek to gain a bigger perspective of our role in your big kingdom story. So God, have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to walk through three aspects of this kingdom mandate that Jesus gives every believer. The first aspect is very simple, and if you've been raised in church or if you've been around our church for a while, you've heard of it. It's make disciples. Make disciples. That's the first aspect of the kingdom mandate that we would make disciples. Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Jesus wanted to make it clear from the beginning that their relationship with him was not just for them. He had walked with them so that they would walk with others. He had shared hope and truth with them so that they would turn around and do the same for other people. And this this was a serious mission that Jesus was giving them. It's not just his preference about how maybe they should go about, you know, the next couple of weeks or months of their life. Y'all, this was a command from the king of the universe. It's why his opening statement is, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me. What's interesting is that you and I, we tend to, you know, in response to authority that's placed over us here on earth, we tend to revolt or rebel in the little ways, right? When mom and dad, kids, when they tell us to go do something, oh, it's, our, it's our inclination, it's, you know, it's just coming out of what's in our heart, we're just like, mom, you know? But parents, when your boss tells you to do that thing that's not on your job description, okay, he leaves. Ah! See, it's our inclination to want to rebel against authority because of the brokenness and sin in our hearts, y'all. And so Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples. Why does it matter? Because a disciple is someone who's given up control of their life to follow King Jesus. And so what does the king command? That his kingdom people would make disciples. The Great Commission is the life mission of every Christian. It's the role that you and I play in God's big kingdom story. And so as we come to a a passage like this, this sermon today is meant to bring us up 20,000 feet and get a clearer picture about your and my place in the world today. What we should be about See, making disciples is not just the responsibility of Pastor Chuck. Even though while on vacation this week, guaranteed he is praying for someone and talking about Jesus. Guaranteed. That's who pastor is. But it's not just his responsibility. In fact, it's not just the responsibility of of the other pastors on staff here or around the world or the missionaries The the primary responsibility of the pastors is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's you. To equip the believers to be about the kingdom mandate. In, in, In any other way would be like turning on the TV to watch some football and to watch a game where the coaches get out on the field and play. You turn on football to watch the star player who the coaches have come together all week long to help them be effective in the game. And so each of us, every believer, is called to make disciples. Don't take my word for it, it's not just for the 11 that, that Jesus is speaking to here in Matthew 28. We know this because the third aspect of the kingdom mandate is to teach them to obey all the things that Christ has commanded us, that includes the kingdom mandate. And so every believer should be about making disciples. Are you a disciple of Jesus? I want us to focus in on on two words here in verse 19, the front part. The first is that word go. The reason I want to zoom in on this word is because it's a Greek participle. That means it's got this active present tense kind of thing that's connected to the next verb. So so what that means for us is it's as you are going, as you do what you do in life, make disciples of all nations. Y'all see that? it's for everyone wherever you find yourself as you do what you do make disciples the second would be that exact word that that's a, it's a single greek word that we translate with two make disciples right a, a more accurate word would be discipleize all the nations okay baptizing them and and teaching them discipleize all the nations. All means all. It means everybody. When it gets to this point where we're talking about all the nations, we're talking, this goes across cultural boundaries. It goes across language barriers. It doesn't take age into account or gender. It's everyone. Believers are supposed to disciple other people, everyone, as they do what they do, wherever you find yourself called by God, at carrier, FedEx, International Paper, Carnival High School, Briarcrest, some umbrella homeschool, you know, classroom. As you do what you do, where you are, make disciples of all nations. That means the old, the young, the co-workers, the, the classmates. The very definition would mean people different than you and people across the globe who have zero access to the gospel, who've never even heard the name Jesus, but you've got eight Bibles in your home. As you do what you do, where God calls you to go, make disciples. And so we're all commanded by Jesus to do this. And what that would mean for us today is if you're a disciple of Jesus, the question you should be asking yourself is who? Who has God placed in my life that he's calling me to disciple right now? See, there are two groups of people in this room who are believers, you ready? The first is the farthest God's gonna call you to go is across the street to your neighbor. It's down the hall to the next office. It's over your shoulder to the next desk, the next huddle, the next job, whatever it is, in the car with your kids. That might be the farthest that God calls you to go. But as you do what you do, make disciples. For others in this room, God may may be placing right now this, this, this weight on your chest that you're supposed to go out of state. You're supposed to go across the country. You're supposed to go around the globe. And as you go for work, for Christ, make disciples. And so everyone, this is a part of everyone's mandate. So, what does it mean to to disciple? What, what does discipleship look like? What this looks like is you baptizing and teaching other people about Jesus. Oh, I know it's getting getting sound, starting to sound a little crazy, but you helping others to identify with the life changing story—that's baptism you showing them how to live their lives according to the power and the presence and the promises of God like Jesus did, that's that's discipleship. That you would teach them by the way you live your life, by the things you do, by the words you say, hold up, by the things you don't do and don't say, that we would teach other people about what it means to follow Jesus by what we do and say. You would teach them with your life. Here's the thing. God has entrusted us with this mission, and and it's a mission of spreading the kingdom and hope of Jesus everywhere, to everyone. And it starts with you, where you are. He has entrusted you, not just with his words, but with your friend's eternity. Eternity. Parenting is not just about raising good kids. Most of us suck at that, you know? It's about pointing these boys and girls to follow Jesus. It's not just about making better grades or the next best play. It's about your teammate or your classmates' eternity. It's not just about getting, you know, working your way up that corporate ladder and seeking a new job with better pay at a better place. It's about your boss's eternity. That's the kingdom mandate we've been given as believers. Where you are, God isn't trusting you. Don't take my word for it. The apostle Paul, who would go on to write over half the New Testament, he wasn't on this mountaintop. Instead, when he became a believer and God called him to go, as he went, he made disciples. And he planted dozens of churches, saw thousands of people respond in faith. And you know what he said to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? He said this, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting our trespasses. Instead, stepping into our brokenness and dying in our place to offer us freedom when he rose from the grave. And then what does he say in verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 5? Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us. The message of reconciliation. Reconciliation. I want everybody, go ahead and point at yourself for a second. Now I want you to repeat after me. I have been entrusted. You didn't know you was coming in here to talk, so let's try it again. (laughs) Point at yourself. I have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. You've been entrusted with your friend, your kid, your boss's eternity because you've been set free from a life enslaved to sin and death and brokenness. Your shame was dealt with at the cross. Any attempt to make you feel bad about what you've done and what you've do- or been what's been done to you since is the enemy trying to keep you ineffective. You've been entrusted with this message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. An ambassador is a representative of a nation that's in a foreign country. Church family, this this moment, this world is not your home. We have a home that's coming that's eternal. While we are here, we represent Christ and he's making his appeal through you to your kids, to your grandkids, to your co-workers, to your classmates, that's huge and that's, the fir- that's just the first aspect <laughs> of the kingdom mandate, that we would make disciples. But the second aspect of our kingdom mandate is that we would baptize believers. Jesus doesn't stop there. Going back to Matthew 28 verse 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The second aspect of our kingdom mandate is that we would baptize believers just a little, his, you know, historical context, baptism did not originate with Jesus or the Christians. It was a practice that the Jews picked up over time and is probably linked to Leviticus 16, where God instituted ritual washing. And by the time we get to John the Baptist, right before Jesus' ministry, he's preaching a different baptism. It's a baptism of repentance, a.k.a. he would go out into the wilderness and he would call out truth and sin, and then people would be called to respond, and he'd baptize them as a sign or a symbol of their changed life. As they would repent of selfishness and sin, they they would experience a changed life, and he would baptize them. Fun fact, John the Baptist baptized Jesus in this way as an example for us. So when we get to Matthew 28 and we've got this second command from the king of the universe to baptize believers and be baptized, that's not the only reason we're baptized. We want to follow in Christ's example. Jesus was baptized too. And so when we get to Jesus and the disciples and the rest of the New Testament, the way Jesus and his disciples taught baptism was different from John. Christian baptism is for believers. It's something we do after we've placed faith in Jesus and decided to make him the king of our lives. It's a symbol about what has already happened inside us, and so we respond in faith and obedience and we're baptized. It's the way that we identify ourselves with Jesus and a kingdom community like this church. This, this, this is in you know, st- like stark contrast to Catholicism and other certain Christian denominations that baptize babies perhaps into their covenant community or to, to be acquitted of original sin. But every instance we find in scripture, every moment that Jesus teaches about it, and so do the apostles, it's always after them placing faith. And that's why we, as a Baptist church, call it believer's baptism. Every time we have someone in the Baptist it's because they've already repented of their sin and are responding in faith. And so if you're here this morning, again, don't take my word for it. When Paul taught about baptism in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, listen to him use the symbolic language. Check this out. In verse 3 of Romans 6, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Y'all ready for the picture? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This, this symbolism, when we, get to, to, when we get baptized, it's us going public about what we believe and how we're choosing to live the rest of our lives. It's a symbol for us and the rest of the world that we were buried with Christ at his death on the cross. And we were raised to walk in total newness of life, a new creation. It's a symbol just like this wedding ring is a symbol of my commitment to love my wife Melinda. Baptism is a symbol of our commitment to follow Jesus as a disciple. Because we're someone made new. And so for, for those of us in this morning, what that looks like is baptism is the first act of obedience by a believer. And so I'm sure that there's some people in here that, that you know, you've not been baptized. And you might even be a believer, and, and, but it was a decision, you know, you made at camp maybe when you were a kid or something. And, and you've just, you know, you've, you've, you've never been baptized. And maybe what the Holy Spirit's calling you to do right now is, hey, You need to follow Christ's example and obey his teaching and be baptized. For others, maybe, you know, you were baptized as a Catholic as a a baby. And that's never happened to you since you made your faith your own and placed your faith and trust in God. And God is calling you today. Hey, be baptized. Regardless of what that looks like, the question is, have you taken that step? Have you been baptized? In a, in a, in a moment, we're gonna have a time of response, and, and our, our our team is gonna be down front. And if you want to get the ball rolling on that, because you're ready to follow in obedience to, to Christ's example, just come down and talk to one of them. And we we can get that set up. Man, we could do that next week. It'd be awesome. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Someone who has given up control of your life to follow him. So that's our our second aspect of the kingdom mandate that we would baptize believers. How does that function as we go and do what we do and make disciples? It looks simply like this. It's not just sharing one verse with one person one time. It's not just about praying for one person in that moment or, or even just inviting them to church one moment. The idea of baptizing the believers is that you would walk with them and you would point them, you would come alongside them, point them to their next steps, make, help them become a part of a community of believers where they can grow. That's why Jesus doesn't just say, hey, make disciples. He says, bring them along, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see the weight of it? It's important. And so the, the, the two aspects we've looked at so far are make disciples Baptize believers, the third aspect of of our kingdom mission is that we would teach them to obey. Look look back and we'll, we'll, we'll pick up again in verse 19, but I want you to see how this comes out. So Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, even as kids, if you grew up in church, you probably memorized verse 19. I'm willing to bet. Great commission. So we're supposed to make disciples and baptize people, right? But so often we stop at, that, at that, that point and we fail to continue going with the third aspect of our kingdom mandate that we wouldn't just leave them high and dry, that we would teach them to obey all the things that Christ has commanded us. It's the difference. It's, you can see it so clearly from a person who calls himself a believer who lives like the rest of the world. They, they made a decision one time or even maybe for a season of life. But they're not walking in obedience to Christ. And so there's no fruit in their life. Jesus told his disciples that being a disciple is more than just something you do one time. It affected their whole life for the rest of their lives. Remember, a disciple's a person who's given up control of their life to follow Jesus. The Bible is literally filled with with Jesus' commands about how we should, should seek to love and live in a world that's broken and filled with sin. How we should point others to him. It's filled with these things and these men on the top of this mountain that he's talking to, man, they've walked with Jesus for three whole years. They know what he teaches. They've watched how he's lived, how he talks to people, his attitude in response to pressure and a torturous death. They've they've seen how he's loved the unlovable, how he's moved through the crowds to the unforgivable, and he's brought people into the kingdom. Church family, this is why we gather to listen to the word of God preached, that we would know what Jesus teaches. They got to experience that for three years with Jesus firsthand. You and I, we have the word of God that has been given to us. And we're called to obey and read and learn and know what he says so that we can know what to do as we go about our daily lives. As we do what we've been called to do, that we would know what to do how to think, what to say. And so what we want to know is is what he desires from each of us. If we want to live the way Jesus did, then we need to, to be renewed in our minds and transformed in our lives. And the way that happens is through a steady intake of God's word. There's some of you here today who are believers and you've been you know you made a decision you maybe prayed a prayer maybe you've even been baptized and if you could be honest with yourself just you and God right now you you might be able to say you know but I feel farther from God than I've ever felt before and my question to you would just be this are you reading and obeying his words Or was there something that happened? Or maybe something you've been running from for too long and now it's left you feeling distant. Y'all, God's not distant from you. He promised to never leave us or forsake us. That feeling that you have of distance from God is always sin. But Jesus Christ came to this earth to, to, to step into our place, to pay the price so we could be set free. It's the enemy that seeks to trap us in guilt and shame. It's the Holy Spirit that calls us to repent and experience life. And so maybe you're here this morning and as I'm talking about this idea of, of, of obeying what Christ has commanded us, maybe the reason you feel distant is because you knew there was something the Holy Spirit called you to do or not to do and you ignored him. And now years later, You still feel empty because you've not been pulling from the fountain of living water. And so maybe God's calling you today to repent of whatever that was and obey him. Follow through on whatever it is that he's calling you to do. Regardless, are you reading and obeying his words Because if we're gonna have renewed minds and a transformed life, we need a steady intake. Here's why. We each take in so many messages every day, every day. And so often though, our week is filled with all of these messages that are just straight garbage. They're trash. And then we come to church for an hour and a half and you know, to, to learn more about Christ and we think that that is going to effectuate change. We need to be renewed in our minds. Let me ask you this. Is one and a half hours a a week for Christ, is, is that right? Maybe the better question is, is it even effective? I don't know. I think the clear teaching of scripture is that it's not. I think the clear sense of your life is that it's not. And so God is calling us to obey him. We all need to take that time to step into that bigger picture, to to have that perspective shift in our life about how we can seek to live out what God has called us to do, where he's called us to do it. So when are you getting alone with God? When are you asking him to speak truth into your life? beyond just a Sunday morning. Oftentimes, this looks like on our own, getting into the word of God, it's been called a quiet time, some people call it a devotion. When are you seeking to meet with God and hear him speak to you? If you're going to kids camp or student camp this next week, guys, y'all got a week. Y'all got a week where you can just get away from the distractions and pursue what the Holy Spirit would call you to do. Don't waste it. Put the phone down long enough to hear what he would say. For those of you who will remain here, what is God calling? Are you getting into the word? How are you, you know, encouraging other believers? Where where are you getting around with other believers so that you can grow? At our church, we've got connect groups that meet on Sunday mornings before the worship service. We've got equip classes that, that occur on most Wednesday nights that are about to start back up in July with a huge season push come August. And if if you're looking for your next step with just a group of other believers, man, hop on our website, scroll to the bottom of the home page, and click on connect or equip. Those are group finders. We've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to find a group of believers that you can grow with. Because when life presses you, what's inside is what comes out when your kids are pressing you, when your boss is pressing you, when your spouse is pressing you, when life and health and just the situations, things that are out of your control, you can't plan for are pressing you, what comes out is what's inside. And So Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew 12, hey, out of the good fruit stored up, come good things and out of the evil fruit stored up come evil things. You'll know a tree by its fruit. Look at your life right now today this morning. Are you a disciple of Jesus? I'm going to ask our our teams to come up, our worship team to join me on stage and our our staff to come down front because we're going to have a moment of response for you to respond as the Holy Spirit leads you to do. Because, see, the problem with plane rides is you always come back down. I mean, it's fun for a moment depending on, you know, who you're next to in the plane, what the weather's like, or if you have some kind of fear of heights. You know, it's fun for a moment, but you come back down. And so it helps us to be reminded of the big picture It helps us to have a perspective shift in our life about what what matters and what God has called us to do, but life's not lived at 20,000 feet. Eventually, you've gotta step off the plane and really get after it. So what is the Holy Spirit calling you to do? I'm gonna invite you to stand with me and I'm gonna give you a couple of ways that you can respond. But I'm not the Holy Spirit. And so whatever God is placing upon your heart and mind right now. Don't wait, obey. If you're here this morning and and you can honestly say you've never given up control of your life to be a disciple, man, come on down. Come talk to one of our, our team. We would love to talk to you about how you can become a disciple of Jesus and experience freedom from your sin and shame. If you you know that you've made that decision and you need to be baptized because you want to obey what Christ has called us to do, then come on, we want to talk to you about how we can get that ball rolling, how you can be baptized like Jesus. If God is putting it on your heart to, to become a part of a church or a group where you can get around other believers and get serious, maybe for the first time in your life about following Jesus, come on down. But whatever God is calling you to do, Whenever the word of God is preached, we respond. Let me pray, and then we'll respond as the Lord leads. Father God, move in power. Holy Spirit, take control of lives today. Call to mind sin that we need to to ask forgiveness for. God, bring to our minds something that you've called us to do that we've been ignoring. Holy Spirit, empower us to be brave enough and strong enough to just say yes. Father God, move us in Jesus' name.